Hello, and welcome back once again to the Inquisitor podcast with me, Marcus Kauke. Today, my guest is Kieran Bain. Kieran Bain is the co-founder of Soul. His focus is really on getting customers to understand that proposition is key. If your proposition stinks, even if it's off, you're going to be digging your hole in the wrong place. You're going to be attracting the wrong kind of customers. And odds are, somewhere along the line, you're going to be whining, bitching and moaning and complaining and grumbling and blaming and making excuses for the fact that your sales and marketing isn't delivering the outcomes that you intended. So we're going to explore some of your blind spots. We're going to look at the questions that you should be asking, but you're not. And hopefully it'll be fairly robust. So, Kieran, welcome. Thank you for having me on your podcast, Marcus. Excellent. That's the the, the quietest and tamest I've ever seen you. So I, I'm expecting a furore to build in a moment. Tell me, what is Sold? Sold is a business that has been my brainchild with another fellow called Simon and Bodice. We've built it up over the last six years, coming out of the old branding company that we used to run. And it was really a, a vehicle to pack, package our, our sales and business knowledge so that we can actually bridge that gap between creativity and commerciality. So we've always been both commercial and creative, but what we've always had a struggle with is customers wanting to put you in a box or partners putting you within a box. So with Sold, we were like, right, we're going to create our own box and our own box is going to be customer-centric. So we're going to work out what problem we solve for customers and we're going to package that up and we're going to call it Sold. Okay. So let's take it to the next level then. What is proposition? Define it for us. Proposition is defined by one thing and one thing alone, and that is what your customer cares about. And unlucky Mr. Simon Sinek, it's not the why. It is what's in it for them. They want to know from day one what's in it for them. What are they going to get out of it? Why is it different? And what can you do that no one else can do for them? Okay, but in a world of homogenized um products i mean yeah how many email sequences and how much variety and functionality really is there i'm sure there is and i'm being terribly unfair but it seems that the market has exploded with products and technologies and they all do pretty much the same thing so in a crowded market where more often than not it very quickly becomes price sensitive how do you stand out amongst all of that noise by saying less? So um, there are various ways to do this. You can, you can have a style. So having the commercial representation of the business, the commercial the way that the business connects to the customer, the proposition, and then expressing it in what we call the unique value proposition. So that you have a way of expressing it in a language or a tone or using certain stylistic elements that are more memorable, more catchy, can you give some examples? Because that's all a little bit intellectual for my tiny brain. Well, it's like going, going back, going back to the old, going back to the old. All the beers are the same, but you still remember um, Carlsberg, probably the best, uh, whatever Guinness, pure genius. Uh, yeah. Nothing hits the spot like a cool sharp heart. Bet he drinks a Carling Black Label. They're all the same beer. They're all cheap, watered down nonsense. But you remember the strap lines and the strap lines and the the ideas. Get you to get you to have the drink, right? Got it. Okay. So as you were saying that, I was seeing their logo types popping up, um, and uh, I was having little flashbacks to some of the adverts and the bear for Carling and whatever. Follow the bear. Hoff Hoff Hoffenbrau was it? Hoffmeister. Yeah. 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 Hoffmeister. Follow the bear, wasn't it? Yeah. 
and this is where a lot of people go wrong with proposition. Customers are really good at being a conversation, but customers are really bad at being a statement. They're, oh, sorry, sorry, clients, uh, businesses. Businesses are really bad at being a statement. They're very bad at catching attention. They don't know what to say. If you give them five seconds to say one thing that's going to catch their customer's attention, can they do it? They really struggle at these points. They're quite happy to have a half an hour coffee after a networking meeting, but ask them to explain what their business is in 30 seconds, and they really, really super struggle. Five seconds, they've got no chance. So, And, and now, especially with the internet, especially with people's attention spans being so short, how do you actually maximize that window to say something meaningful that's not just, not just perhaps uh, follow the bear? How do you manage to get some commercial impact in there as well so that promise is fulfilled at every single stage of the sales funnel. And that's ah, really, right. That's, that's really so it's about fulfilling the promise at every stage. It's yeah. not just about the frictionless. Got it. Yeah, yeah. So you've got to you've got to, you've got to actually have, and that's why we say sold bridges that gap between commerciality and creativity, because the creativity will get the eyes on there. But if you're not saying something that can be actually consistently delivered by the business, you're just a fluff merchant. And no one wants to work with a fluff merchant, right? No. Okay. So, again, this strikes me that it comes back down to one of the most fundamental problems that we see in life and in business, which is the bastard of clarity, which is ambiguity. Um, And ambiguity seems to be the root cause of so many problems. It leads to mismatched expectations, it leads to disappointment. Uh, it leads to people falling out over lack of understanding. And so what? Um, you know, when people come into a, a conversation, which presumably is what the proposition is intended to start, you want them to start with the right kind of mindset. Have you ever seen examples of where people have really done an own goal when it comes to proposition because they picked the wrong quality? Well, I think that I think the number one own goal is that when people talk about themselves rather than talking about the customer, we see it over and over and over again. I don't know why this happens. I don't know if there's some kind of book of brand out there that people keep reading. I think that it's um I think that there's always a perception that the big corporates and the big market leaders must be doing it right. So we've got to follow them. It's not just that, it's the, it's the experts in the space who are incredibly disingenuous in the brand and proposition space because they will always pull their case studies out of, look what Coca-Cola did or look what Apple did. And these guys have got huge budgets, broadcast, very well-known brands, and you could probably put a very well-oiled penguin in their, in their head of brand or head of marketing hot seat and, um, and they'd be able to pull, pull, you know, um, you know, pull a blinder out. Earlier on, you were talking about an academic that was taking those kind of case studies. Yeah, I don't want to mention who it is, but um, I got a phone call from a very good friend of mine, and he was he was very upset because his staff had all come up with this guy who, and they were looking at this guy, and he was um, talking about Coca Cola and how Coca Cola had done this and that. Now they're the biggest brand in the world, right? I mean, they're selling sugary water in a red can. They're they're they're, yeah. they're doing magic, but they've got huge budgets. So I'm saying that it's disingenuous. In fact, it's not just disingenuous. It's very dangerous of the experts to say this and think that it applies to small to medium enterprises and then small to medium enterprises to think that they can talk about their brand, their positioning, everything they're doing, but the way they serve their customer. Right. Okay. So if they fail to do that, then 
what is the downstream knock-on cost in terms of waste? How do you mean, Marcus? Can you just give me... Well, if, you, if, you, if you've not got your proposition right, you don't really understand what it is that your okay. customer so needs. Let me give you some examples. I just get really passionate, so forgive me for talking over That's you. That's right. Yeah. One of the most common things that we see is that businesses will plough tons and tons of money into activities and then double down on those activities when they're not working, not realising that their guns are firing fake bullets. So a really good example of this would be a company I saw that their website dropped on Google. So they thought, right, what we've got to do is spend more money on Google advertising. They spent thousands on Google, Google advertising with an agency, and the Google agency should have actually told them it doesn't matter how much traffic we fire at your website, your proposition on the website is just absolutely awful. And no one really understands why you're different from any other company in your sector. And so that's that's what you get, is you get huge commercial waste. Um, I saw another company the other day where they'd hired a marketing consultant. Marketing consultant had been working with them for months and months and months. And I thought, well, it's incredibly... I didn't know even if it was disingenuous, if it was, um, if it was just disingenuous of him or whether or not you don't know what you don't know, but to take someone's money for 18 months and, and spend it on marketing without telling them that their core proposition is wrong is a huge wastage for the company. And then it, the other problem that it creates is it creates real inertia within the company to deal with the, with the, with the real problem because leaders have spent a long time going through this strategy and that they're personally invested in this strategy. They want to see the strategy work. So they're very rude to go back to stage one on the drawing board and actually drop everything they've been doing and reset the proposition before going ahead with any more activity. Well, so to unpack that, the marketing agency probably will come in and just answer the brief, which is get them some more leads, top of funnel. And leadership failing to understand the importance that at every stage of that buyer's journey, that the message is congruent, it's convenient and timely and relevant for the customer, matters a lot more than your emotional attachment to a particular line of advertising or whatever. If if your conversion rate is not what you want it to be, you have to look back upstream to see the streams of data, you have to look at the technology, you have to look at where the leads are coming from, and who's uh, dealing with the, uh, those customers. And part of the problem here is that because the mentality of more is better has seemed to have taken hold, that people don't ever have any time to sift and filter and qualify and put real effort into long-term planning and medium-term pipeline development. And they would see where the customer is dropping off. And it's indicative, presumably, of what might be going wrong. If you speak to your customers and you ask them, you interview them more than uh, a surface level, intellectual, subjective, you want to see how they behave. And that will be uh, indicative of what the proposition needs to be, surely. There must be all sorts of data in there and uh, all, all sorts of insight that leaders are missing because they're not looking at the right place. I wish it was so nuanced. Most of the time, it's just down to down to really simple ABC stuff. I wish it was so nuanced. Yes, certainly in a lot of the clients, if you're dealing with very specific e-com funnels and funnels where where you, you're getting drop-offs and you're not quite sure why, but I'm pretty sure that in most of the businesses, I can just go in and look and tell you why. 
and tell you why straight away. And it will generally be in the number one factor that influences conversion, which is message. Message is a function of proposition. And if you talk to all the experts, they'll tell you this, the same thing over and over again, which is message and copy and number one influence on conversion. Okay. So how do we get smarter about developing our message then? First of all, we understand that understand our own limitations in developing our message and that often we need some kind of outside support in coming in and developing our message. The problem that most businesses have is that they have too many messages, that they're all over the place, that they have no order about it, that they may well be the last customer feed piece of customer feedback they have, the last, the last line that the salesman said they used to close a, a customer on. They could be the last piece of thinking that they've had from their uh, management consultant. And generally, none of these ideas are incorrect. All of these ideas contain a kernel of the truth, which means that business owners are generally really struggling about which one of these um, ideas to use. The idea that we can go and ask customers is always a nice one, but usually customers will talk to us after the sale. So they'll tell, tell us about things about like how they really like the service or certain aspects of the product that they really like, but it won't be the thing that got them through in the door in the first place. That's quite interesting. But I think um, mainly it's being prepared to say, this is a problem, we need outside help to solve it. I think most businesses do need outside help to solve it. Okay, and that's fair. I, I'm not denying that, but a lot of people here won't have those resources. They're going to be salespeople who okay. have to try and uh, develop a proposition despite the crap that their marketing department is producing and whatever their higher-ups are saying, they need to make sales. And so they've got to refine the proposition and they've got to think as the customer. So how do, how do we start? So number one is it's all you've, you've already got it. Number one is you've already got it. You've already got it in your business. It's hiding in your business, but you don't have to look outside your business to find it. So that's the first thing is, is that you have to look on the inside. It, it, somewhere, somewhere within the pile of things that you want to say is the nugget of gold. Your struggle is not, your struggle is not finding an external nugget of gold. The struggle is looking inside yourselves and looking internally. That um, old story, I can't remember whether it was Ben Franklin or Mark Twain or Churchill apologizing, for, forgive the length of this letter, I didn't have time to make it shorter. And I think constraint is one of the hardest skills to learn. How does one go about learning how to sacrifice your babies when you've got all these wondrous ideas? What's the discipline that you have to go through? Well, the discipline is understanding. So when I, when I um, first started doing this, many brand companies will say the nugget of gold story. What I have actually learned over time, this is one of the secrets from my black book, is that everything that you're saying is right, but it's just ordered incorrectly. Knowing that this is what you say, um, and we've seen guys try and do this, and they do it in terms of the um, what, the why, the how, and they'll say that you start with why. I say it's actually the other way around. That's how you find yourself. If you go through the process in yourself, that you can, you can look at the why, then the how you do it, and then find the what. So you can go, that's how you go into yourself. But when you talk back to the customer, you need to go what, how, why. So, so that's the thing is that you almost have to go, you almost have to look inside yourself, going through the emotion, emotive, going through the process, going through the actual outcome, because the what is always the outcome. And then when you go to the customer, you go outcome, process, emotion. That's how they do it. So actually, I would, I, you know, 
I would say it's not only a case of finding the gold, it's actually taking that big sort of ball of ball of fertile compost and rearranging it into a garden that's rife for customers to come and plant their dreams. Now I'm uh, feeling slightly discombobulated because in my world, I've always felt that it's far more important to lead with getting their emotional brain engaged and then justifying with logic. So what is it about proposition that means that you have to lead with feeding the prefrontal cortex instead of the, um, you know, your, your monkey brain? I'm not saying that that's, I'm just saying that's the order in which they go, the, the order in which you put them. You'd still have to express the outcome with the with a degree of emotion, which is why the strap line and why the punchline works, right? So, but, but this is the order of what you, you know, but at the end of the day, if you look, go back to our beer, you know, it's still um, nothing refreshes like a, nothing refreshes like a Heineken or Heineken refreshes the parts that other beers. Other parts can't, cannot reach, yeah. So it's talking about the actual point at which you take the beer away from your mouth. And yeah, so it's talking about the outcome in an emotional way. Right. Okay. Okay. So that's interesting. Hmm. Because you're you're right. You're right. You're absolutely right. You've got to get, you've got to go in through the, you've got to go through in through the visceral. You've got to before you go to the visual. That's yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Okay. So as we start to try and create some alignment across sales and marketing throughout the entire customer journey and beyond the sale to expansion and delivery, how do we maintain a fresh proposition? Because so so many organizations have to evolve. And you you look at the, the ones that have survived anyway. What they sold today may well not be what they sell tomorrow. And their market may well have shifted. You know, they may have gone up market, they may have gone from SME to mid-market, mid-market to enterprise. So depending on where they are in their business cycle, presumably that proposition needs constant vigilance to make sure it's still in alignment with what your customers need and want. There certainly is a sweet spot because with any kind of marketing and sales campaign, you have to run it. You have to run it and put it to work. So the, the proposition exists in two forms. So the proposition is the proposition in the in the kind of mechanical form, and then there's the literal form. So the proposition, you'll you'll see these guys, or I've even done it myself, you'll you'll create the proposition in a very mechanical form and say, this is the structure of the proposition. And then you almost give people the ability to, to present that proposition in the way that they want to present it. So different creatives have the ability to present the proposition in different ways. It doesn't, that doesn't have to necessarily be um, always articulated in the right. same way. So you say that's the hill you have to conquer, off you go, and they have to come up with that. Or to use your own analogy that you put, you know, like you're showing them where to dig. Right? Most of the time they're digging in the wrong place. We're going to show them where to dig, yeah? How, whether they use a JCB because they want to get there fast and that they don't care about tearing up the, the landslide or because they're going, to, they're going to use a little trowel because they want to, don't, don't want to disturb anything as they're getting in there is up to the style of the creative and the company. And maybe in some situations, a digger will get you there faster, but you'll destroy the thing that you were trying to find. So the outcome ultimately that people are paying for, for all of this stuff, whether it's the technology, whether it's branding, uh, whether it's position, positioning, whether it's sales training or whatever, is they want the result to improve. Um, and what I see far too little focus on 
is working backwards from that. What they try and come up with is an elegant solution to a problem that may or may not exist, and then they go looking for a customer. How often do we find, or do you find, that the proposition essentially, or the exercise in looking at the proposition, essentially tells them that they don't really have a product or a market? All the time, all the time, all the time, I see businesses, products, companies running away with what they could potentially do without thinking about how they engage a customer. It's, it's, it's one of the most common things that you, one of the most common things that you see. Or so what are the symptoms that you're looking for when you recognize that so other people can maybe look in the mirror? The problem will be that they are a loose set of services strung together that doesn't really have an outcome. They are, they are products waiting for customers. The businesses, the businesses, they have a wonderful term in engineering, which is vaporware, means that what they're really good is what, what you've basically got is a consultancy, an engineering consultancy that has tons of access to products and experts. And what they're literally waiting to do is they're waiting for somebody to come along and say, look, Dave, I need this, this, and this to happen. And Dave goes, yeah, I can help make this happen. And he goes and hires an independent project manager expertise in that space. He goes and gets a couple of like health and safety guys in that space. He knows a couple of product providers. And then um, he strings the whole thing together with an it'll be all right on the night kind of attitude. That's a very good answer. And then the proposition to accommodate such businesses needs to be incredibly elastic and vague because they want to do everything to everybody. So so I guess... Right, so the law of sacrifice needs to be invoked. It certainly does, yeah. Okay. So again, you, know, you try and save everyone, you save no one. So you, you've got to make decisions as to what you do without. So you're cutting stuff out when you're making decisions as a buyer at the final decision stage, when you're comparing like for like, what you're typically doing is, can I do without the fifth bedroom? Can we do without the second bathroom in favor of having the convenience of being 10 minutes from the office? You're sacrificing stuff all the time as a buyer. As a seller, you have to have that discipline too. Yes, absolutely. And that discipline, again, it comes from looking inside. So we take what's working. So often you'll find with these businesses with big aspirations that they'll be ignoring the customer that they've got that's working in favor of this huge customer there that they want. And actually, nine times out of 10, the customer that they've got, if they treated them correctly and worked with them, could become the big customer that they want ultimately further down the line. And that's the interesting thing. So, so again, this speaks to the need to play a different game. You've got to get out that short-term thinking and you've got to think, who, could, who will my customer be in three, five years down the road? When I'm prospecting, when I prospect, I'm never looking for a customer to transact with. I'm looking for a customer who will still be a customer on the day I retire and I hand my, uh, the reins over to someone else to look after them because it's insane constantly having to go out there and try and find more and more and uh, start again afresh all the time. If we've built up a strong pipeline, we've got a solid medium-term funnel that is full of the right kind of people because we're attracting them with the right message and we're consistent in terms of the value that we bring uh, along that buying journey, then they have good reason to engage with us. But if we're just 
another bit of interruption, another piece of noise, and we don't stand out or differentiate in the way we sell, in the way we turn up, in our message, we're just going to be forgotten. What is it that makes a message so unforgettable, so compelling, that a customer, their curiosity is triggered and their motivation to act is fired? Can I, can I just go back a step? Yes, of course. Um, just what you're saying. I mean, the same thing, the same thing happened to me. Um, when I've started Sold, um, we'd been working on these endless retainers where our, our um, expertise got diminished and our expertise got diminished and we would end up just doing work uh, at the command of the client on just almost anything. And it, and, it, and it wasn't where we were doing our expertise. We'd find it quite depressing. So when we started Sold, I just wanted to sell a propositional product and get in and get out. Yeah, I, and, and so just in what you're saying is that I then realized that if I did my job properly and gave the company the proposition that worked, then just like you said, in six months' time, is the proposition still working? Or more importantly, in three months, three years' time, if I've really given them the proposition that's absolutely nailed their problem and given them the growth, which is what my promise is to them, then I need to be engaging them in three years' time because I've built that proposition and they want me again to develop it. And so I even was suffering from that short-term thinking and not thinking about all that, all of, of how I'd given that value to the customer. And what it was 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 going back and actually in my own business seeing how the difference that I made, the difference that I made, and realizing that the value that I gave them was it was was giving them the ability to express their value to their customers in a unique way. And that as the business changed, that would change for them. And so that when I actually got out of my own short-term thinking, which is that I just want to sell them a product, a propositional product, and actually what I was doing was giving them a system of relating to their customers, I've actually gone from like, from thinking, I just want to serve people once, to how do I come in and then leave them for a while, let them get on with it, do their homework, as, uh, as, as people say, and then come back in later and say, is it working? Yes, this is working. This is not working. Or in businesses where they're where they're like, so that we we were talking to a very young web business, and we tried to sell them our product. This was a, this was a few months ago, and up would would we'd aligned our product for SMEs that were in the one point five to five million space. And one of our business coaches said to us, "Look, Kieran, these guys will probably change what they want to do in three months, in six months. So why don't we just come in and say, right, we'll do something really rough and ready for you." in a price range that can fit you because we want to work with you and we'll actually help you get to that stage where you can become a 12 to 15,000 pound customer for us, even a 30,000 pound customer for us. So why don't we turn that customer using our skills into the customer that we want? I understand that. And my, my own coach has told me that as well. You know, if someone's willing to give you money and you can help them, why wouldn't you? But again, We've got to be very careful because we don't want to be uh, pulled and pushed in the wrong directions. But I am constantly making investments in small businesses or in individuals who I think have a long-term future because I think they, they're going to carry the message and the mission out beyond my career because these are the next generation of sales leaders. They're already cracking it as top performers. They're moving into management. They're being very successful. And I want more of those people out there 
who really understand the importance of the customer and building everything out from there, understanding the necessity to work backwards from the job to be done and understand who, who all the parts, moving parts are that have to execute, understanding the importance of treating people with compassion and being fair, but also understanding that the market is huge and learning to look for stuff that we can cooperate, where we can cooperate, where we have stuff in common. I don't think any of this is utopian. It's actually what put humanity to the top of the food chain and what's made, what continues to make us successful, our ability to work together, to find what we have in common. And I think one of the really interesting things about your shift in thinking is that you've shifted from trying to sell something to try and partner with a customer and you're offering them there uh, is longevity, the certainty of knowing that the proposition will always remain fresh. Because I think it's the same thing in the training world. The reason why most training doesn't work is it's, you know, you feed people from a fire hose, they've forgotten 99% of it within a month or two, and it doesn't change the behavior. But more importantly, it doesn't change the result. And I think because it's simpler to not really think deeply about the interconnectedness of these different elements, that people get lazy and they just pick one thing and they just focus on that and that creates disequilibrium. I'm just curious, your thoughts. Can I answer the other question you asked, Marcus? Because you asked yeah, me about creativity. Yeah. So creativity, how do, we, how do we come across? I'm not going to give you the ultimate secret, but I'll give you a secret. I used to do work with um, a real money gambling company and I was always... I was, I was with this guy, and this guy was always trying to recreate the slot machine. The slot machine has is is, is existed since 1847, when it was invented by the San Francisco car mechanic Charles Bay. People are still playing slot machines. Why do people keep playing slot machines over and over and over again? Because people don't want uncomfortable experiences. People don't want to be challenged with the new. People go into bars and drink Stella Artois, every time they go in a bar, why? Because they love the taste of Stella. They smoke a Benson outside on the pavement. Why? Because they like a Benson. People want comfortable, familiar experiences. Often when people are browsing Netflix, they're not looking for something new to watch. They're looking for some old film that they saw years ago that there's been enough time has progressed that they haven't seen it so they can watch it again because it's a safe bet like The Goonies or Star Wars, or let's watch that again. People have films they've watched 14 times just for that kind of comfort factor. And so the question is, how do we make a new type of whiskey that people want to drink? If we're going to make a new type of whiskey. So the amateur will say, well, no one's ever tried making banana whiskey, so why don't we create banana whiskey? They create banana Glenfiddich. Everyone, you know, everyone gets sent a bottle of banana Glenfiddich. They have the bottle of banana Glenfiddich behind the bar. When people are absolutely hammered out of their mind, they might try a shot of banana Glenfiddich and go, well, that was interesting, and never go back to it. The way you create something new that no one else has tried is that you look at the, you look at the factors within something that people like. So if we made Glenfiddich XL Reserve, you know, matured for 15 years instead of 12, matured in barrels made out of old Napoleonic warships, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, with a with a 50% by volume, suddenly everyone's drinking XL. And that's how you do creativity. You can't create banana. You need to not create banana Glenfiddich. You need to create Glenfiddich XL. 
that's where the real money is made is being able to understand which elements you know which levers on the graphic equalizer of proposition to push up which elements of creativity to tweak to get the interest and which need to remain remain consistent to confirm that the the buyer is getting the thing that they want to get and that is the the, okay. the, the experience yeah so coming back to the uh, the question of where proposition fits in the grand scheme of these complex interdependent wicked problems my experience of dealing with them last you know, in latter years is that more often than not the really messy problems are caused upstream by bad decisions, bad messaging, bad hires. And what is it that causes people to produce a proposition that is self-orientated, that fails to address the customer's need? What, why do they do it? Can I give you one word? Ego? Hmm? Fear. Fear. Interesting. Okay. So d- unpack that a little bit for me, because that's triggered Fear that I might leave business on the table. Fear that if I, the one you see a lot of the time with marketers, because there is a real bias in marketing. Uh, do you know what the bias is in marketing? Five times more people in marketing went to high grade public schools than right. ordinary. Yeah. So, so they want to talk in a very uh, erudite and very self interested way. And um, they're frightened that if they talk in a direct response manner, or directly to the customer, that they'll be seen as cheap or um, or aggressive or assertive or our brand just doesn't talk like that. And that comes from a place of fear, a fear that they won't be um, represented or valued in the way that they want to be valued. Mainly scarcity, but often due to um, esteem issues, but always fear, always fear that they're not going to be represented in the right way or we don't want to be thought about like that. Or Interesting. Because I'm listening to a, a, a very interesting book by Ethan Cross called Chatter. And it's all about the inner monologue or dialogue that goes on in people's heads. And he was talking about one fear response. So you've got freeze, flight, or fight. But there's one that he that I'd never heard before, which is that you go and look for other people and you try and band together with other people who are struggling with the same thing. And I, I have seen that before, but I've never put it in that context of fear, fl- flight, or fight response. Because what people tend to do is go and look for uh, other codependents or co-sufferers uh, of that issue. And there's an opportunity to tap into community when people are fearful, finding other people who've uh, experienced what they've gone through. But you've got to avoid falling into the trap of the feel, felt, found, because then it sounds like a manipulative, crappy sales technique. So I'm not quite sure where the question is going, but I mean, just... Can I have a kind of guess? Yeah, please. What do we have? Fight, flight, fear, or flock? Or? Flock. flock. Did he not use flock in chatter? Because that, that one was a slam. Uh, well, not, not up until now. I'd heard frolic, but that was something else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what's, what's that like? You've got a minute left on Earth before the... Um, before the nuclear bombs land, I better go and have a quick put, put it into anything. <laughs> yeah, better go and have a quick frolic before yeah. before before we all get wiped out in a yeah, absolutely. Blast. Yeah. Go out with a bang if you like. Forgive the pun. So, okay, interesting. Can I ask you a question, then, Mox? 
Why yeah. do you think so many companies talk about themselves? Why do you think they why do you think that goes on? Because it's the perennial problem of my industry is that they want to talk about themselves and that you can start them talking about other people, but they still want to describe themselves and you can really try to pull them out to create direct messages, but they just go back to it. It seems to be tied to fundamental human needs, significance, contribution, certainty. And when those things aren't met, there are others as well, but when those fundamental needs aren't met, we override our value system, according to Moeb Amin, um, who's a neuroscientist partner of ours. And what's really interesting is when people are fearful, when they are attached, they can't really make good judgments and they can't really influence that well. And the problem is really down to attachment. It's attachment to an outcome. It's attachment to a sense of entitlement. We deserve better because our product is so much better. And I'm seeing those cowboys down the road and it galls me. So then I think what happens is people talk about themselves out of a, a need to try and convince. But you can't convince people. People need to work out for themselves why they want what you have to offer. And they're going to buy for their reasons alone. Not yours, not your marketing teams, not your CEOs, definitely not your investors. But in Chatter, Cross talks about how people are able to overcome their fear, their debilitating internal chatter when they change the pronoun from I and me to you and using their own name. Mm -hmm. So when you're in a funk, what they talk about, uh, what he talks about is say, just you say to yourself, Kieran, get out of this. You know you're better than this. Yeah. You've got the ability to do it. You've done it before. And just by doing that, it creates a third party experience. And that distance creates a temporal and a physical distance psychologically you, that allows you to create the separation. Have you heard of Byron Katie? I've heard of Byron Katie. I haven't she seen does, it. She does, she, she does this wicked, wicked reverse thing. So she says, when you, when you come across the limiting belief, so everybody hates me or I'm not being heard, she said, just reverse it and see how that fits in your head. So when it's like, everybody hates me, I hate everybody. When I'm not being heard, I'm not listening. So yeah, and that's, a, that's, a, that's if you really radically want to shift your thinking, pull the Byron Cage. I don't know if she came up with it, but man, I, I love, when I first came across Bandler, um, I got the, the I got the I got the you thing when I started talking to myself. You that changed my life. That did being able to talk to yourself as you. But the Byron Katie, someone into a, a lady introduced a really nice lady, uh, a singing therapist. She introduced me to this Byron Katie idea. She said, "Just reverse it and see how that feels." Yeah, that's yeah. really powerful. Yeah, interesting. Because yeah. uh, again, one of my favorite lessons, which I picked up from my pal Amy Woodall who's fabulous in the CS space and she always maintains you know you you have to own your 50% in all of your dissatisfying relationships the one constant is you and I mean I, I teach the Jimmy Carr rule now and my wife has told me I have to edit it and the, the Jimmy Carr rule is very simple if you meet three twants by 12 o'clock you're the twant don't be a twant and the the problem here is I, I think what's been forgotten is that when you're in front of a customer or when you're trying to market or write to or sell to or call a customer, the belief is that you have to try and convince them. And I don't think that's the right thing to do. 
I think what you need to do is understand them because all human beings want to be heard, to feel felt, be understood. And we do, the first instinct is to look for what feels familiar. Mm-hmm. But we all sell change. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you can sell change by talking about you because it's got absolutely nothing to do with the customer. No, absolutely. And what we have to do is like with our whiskey is we have to understand what they want and give them more of what they want. So what they came for. So if we're doing, if we're doing lead generation, for instance, how do we do lead generation that makes sure the lead converts? If we're going to do proposition, how do we do proposition that's um, definitely going to have that commercial angle to it? It's being able to understand what customers want at that stage beyond. I think a very, very right. And I would also say, Marcus, if you, (laughs) what do I say? If you keep going to that circus, you'll end up a clown. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Okay. We're coming to time now. Let's just have a think. What is it with the obsession with more eyes on the adverts? More, you know, more, is, uh, more is better. Why is it, despite the evidence, despite the data, marketers seem to just double down on stupid? I think it's because the way they sell it is that Google is the answer to everything. Google is measurable, trackable, evidence-led, all digital advertising is. So therefore, it seems to offer a panacea. Therefore, if we if we want more customers, all we have to do is double the input and we'll double the output. And so I just think that's a very, a very common fallacy that's that's made. And I think that what we've seen is, and we're still seeing this, is that the advertising industry is paying for its own nonsense where before digital marketing, there was a hell of a lot of nonsense. There was a hell of a lot of nonsense. And when digital marketing came along, digital marketing was like, we can create really, really predictable funnels. Um, No one else is doing digital. If you get on digital, there's some really big wins to be made. And that mentality in digital marketing now hasn't changed, which means that digital marketing is now the the kind of um, incumbent, idiot and where actual creativity is now going to go through a renaissance and so that's what's going to happen is creativity is you know like there's i forget who was saying that experts saying that creativity is going to be the most valuable skill in the next 10 years as everything else gets automated especially the digital agencies out there so i think that um i think that's that's why is because there's a lot of a lot of inertia within the market that they're now turning on to digital and a lot of the promises of digital haven't really changed since the early days. Interesting, because what I'm seeing increasingly is as the uncertainty builds and the chaos looms, more and more people are naturally getting very nervous, they're retrenching. CFOs are telling you you've got to have budget cuts, you know, you've got to make savings everywhere. There are a lot of people who are naturally very, very nervous and they're looking for leadership. They want to make progress, but that fear, the uncertainty, the chaos is holding them back. And I think what they really need from vendors, providers, partners is leadership. They need a safe pair of hands to help them work out the pathway over the chaos and to make the connection between all the different elements. Because I think that's, that's the job of sellers. That's the job of leaders. It's to help people make sense and you know, understand what the patterns are, create certainty of focus and activity. But everything turns to shit when people get overly attached 
or when their fear response kicks in. And I think having a really solid proposition that people can relate to in this marketplace is more important than ever. Because if you want to cut waste out, you need to stop creating the waste in the first place. Every Duff lead that comes in has to be followed up. And on average, it's going to be followed up four to eight times in order for you to get through. And since they're really senior, it could be 14, 30 times. Um, and most people give up after the first or second try. So not only are you attracting a lot of Duff leads and you're complaining that you haven't got the opportunities and there's not enough out there, but you're wasting so many of them and driving many of them to your competition because you've got a crap proposition. So final word on proposition to the audience. Just using the analogy you've got there, it is about leadership. And if it is about leadership, then proposition is the glowing standard at which you put at the front of your army. Get your army to march to it is the flag by which you all serve under. It is the motto by which you all believe in. And it is the idea, the glowing idea that is apparent in every single thing that you do. And it is the, the, the tool by which you get the advantage over the competition and win the war. Because business is going to get more competitive. Is a recession coming? You've got to go out there and fight for this. And you have to fight for this. And proposition will be your tool that gets you the customer that you need ahead of the, ahead of the pack. Excellent. Kieran, how can people get hold of you? They can get hold of me just via my email, which is kieran at soldbrands.com. Sold, of course, spelled exactly like you think, S-O-L-D, brands, Kieran, K-I-E-R-O-N. Or you can just add me on LinkedIn. You can probably find me through Marcus's connections. I'm always sort of hanging around there. Yeah, and if you're on Marcus's um, Marcus's network, um, I'm on a few of his groups. And yeah, I'm sure he could give, me, give you an introduction as well. I'm really enjoying can I just big you up, Marcus, and just say, since I've come into contact with this guy, Marcus Kauke, he's introduced me to so many people who have given me so much value and so much guidance in my business that in the last three weeks, my head has literally spun around 360 degrees, and it's just been fantastic. I'm so happy you've come into my life, Marcus. Thank you Thank so you much. Thank you so much. Likewise, this is a mutual appreciation society. You're making me think more than I have done about my own proposition, which I'm quite terrified to put under your scrutiny, but looking forward to the outcome because God knows it needs it. Kieran, thank you so much. What, one final question then, golden ticket uh, question. You can go back to the idiot 23-year-old Kieran. What one bit of advice would you have given him that you know he would have ignored but should have paid heed to? <laughs> whoa <laughs> everything that you need is inside of you everything that you need is inside of you and you know this anyway you know this anyway but everything you need to know is inside of you through the world of feeling through the world of emotion through exploring yourself and trusting your instincts and trusting the, your own feelings and don't do anything to to get in the way of your feelings and your emotions because your emotions are the ultimate guide through this world trust them feel them and let them go Trust you got. Good stuff. Kieran Bain, thank you. Thank you, Marcus Kauke. Thank you. <laughs> this is Marcus Kauke signing off once again from the Inquisitor podcast. If you've enjoyed the conversation, then please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Tag someone who needs to hear that their proposition is shit and put them in touch with Kieran. If you want to get hold of me, Marcus at laughs-last.com. And I'm currently taking on a couple of personal coaching clients. So if you really want to take your career to new heights, and you're already a top performer, and you want to move up to the next level, and you want to accelerate it, but you don't want to have to do it by selling your soul, 
then drop me a line. There is a link uh, in the blurb. And in the meantime, stay safe and happy selling. Bye-bye.